five, four, three, two, one. Good day and welcome to episode 42 of One Man Watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. If this is in fact your first episode, I'm your host, Sir Dr. JM, that's at Sir D-R-J-M. So go ahead and give me a follow there uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever you like there, and I would love to interact with you. If you hop over on Twitter and you send me a DM, you tweet at me or anything like that, I will be happy to interact. Um, if you have questions, comments, concerns, topics you want to talk, want me to talk about on the show, Throw them at me over there, and I will see what I can do for you. Now, you can, of course, find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services out there. Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc., etc. So, of course, get out there, spread the word, uh, leave a review, leave a comment, share the love. Now... For today's show, we'll of course be covering one week's worth of news. Our last episode went up on the 19th, so we will be looking at the 19th through the 25th, which of course means we have quite a bit to get to in today's show. So we're going to look at the latest retirement announcements. Pardon me. We'll look at some details from, of course, the Overwatch 2 PvP livestream, which happened over on the 20th of May, just after we posted our last episode. And we will dive into a little bit more. So without further ado, let's dive on into the news. Playtime's over. All right, so before we get into the news, actually, I'm going to throw out a little PSA there. Of course, uh, we did just recently hit the uh, fifth anniversary of Overwatch. Overwatch 1, of course. And that would have been, technically speaking, yesterday on May 24th at time of recording. So, uh, the anniversary event is, of course, live now in-game, runs through to June 8th, and if you have not been paying attention, then last week you would have missed out on the Cybermedic Ana Epic skin. However, moving on to this week, we can, of course, win a Bird of Paradise player icon, a Flutter Spray, and finally, the Bird of Paradise Echo Epic skin for playing, of course, 9 games, 18 games, and 27 games there. Now, if I'm not mistaken, in these rewards, uh, a win counts as 2 games, so realistically, you could play as few as 14 games, and uh, you would have enough wins to collect the grand prize. Now, I did myself get the Cyber cybermedic and epic skin because it's kind of cool it's got kind of a cyberpunk vibe looks a little uh soldier 76 with her visor there this week uh given i'm not really too much of an echo player at all and uh also i mean it's a pretty looking skin but it doesn't do much for me i might just not worry too much about this one uh it depends how i feel if i feel like playing um but i digress next week we play nine games we get the eight ball player icon play 18 games get the corner pocket spray and of course play 27 games and you get the eight ball wrecking ball epic skin so if you haven't been paying attention get in there get those wins and get those rewards for the fifth anniversary of overwatch now Let's move on to our first news story, which takes us on over to thegamehouse.com. This time, an article by Sam Hopwood posted on May 20th reads, The Houston Outlaws Sign Dreamer. The past couple of weeks have been a smorgasbord of exciting, unexpected pickups in the Overwatch League. The Philadelphia Fusion signed Toby 
And Hotba right after the May Melee. The Dallas Fuel signed veteran Pine, but nobody expected the Houston Outlaws to sign a new player. Despite this, on the afternoon of Wednesday, May 19th, the Outlaws signed Dreamer, a South Korean main tank player that is best known for his time spent on the Los Angeles Valiant during their 2020 season. The Outlaws announced the signing via Twitter, via a Twitter post, having teased the pickup just minutes before, asking their fans to, quote, never forget to follow your dreams. The pickup was especially exciting for Valiant fans, many of whom are fond of Dreamer, and were disappointed by the team dropping the entirety of their roster in the preseason. Dreamer expressed his excitement on Twitter, informing his fans that he was happy to be back and extremely thankful for the new opportunity. Though fans are clearly excited about this pickup, many are unclear of the reasoning behind the signing. The Houston Outlaws already possess an impressive tank line of Piggy and Jangu. However, after losing to the Dallas Fuel and being unable to enter the May Melee, the Outlaws may be rethinking their goals for the team. And in a meta where a strong main tank is so important, diversifying their tank line could be the makeover they need. But no matter the motivation, the signing of a well-beloved, oh, sorry, well-loved player is thrilling for Overwatch League fans and is an investment that will likely help the already stacked Outlaws make their way into the upcoming June Joust. So, of course, we are happy for Dreamer. We, of course, are happy as well for the Houston Outlaws and fans of, uh, of both the Outlaws and uh, the former Valiant team and Dreamer because we always like to see players getting picked up and signed to teams, especially one like the Houston Outlaws, who uh, has no shortage of talent and has had seemingly no shortage of success so far this season. Now, talking about Dreamer in particular, if I'm not mistaken, I believe he's kind of known for his uh, Reinhardt play, so main tank role, which, of course, does overlap with uh, Jangu. Um, so it'll be a little bit interesting to see where exactly or how exactly they work him into the team, um, especially, I mean, with Reinhardt right now being banned for the uh, June joust, so for basically the entirety of June um, due to the hero pools. But I digress. Never, uh, you know, a good pickup for them and hopefully helps to sort of balance things out a little bit and maybe they can share the wealth if you will or or you know spread the load and uh make it a little easier on their uh current tank line all right so next up we're gonna move on over to gg recon with an article by sasha yiska and uh this time around we're actually going to look at probably the biggest announcement coming out of the uh uh, Overwatch 2 PvP livestream that happened last week. Now, I will preface this by saying the next article I'm going to cover is a recap of sort of the highlights from the Overwatch 2 PvP livestream. But this item, uh, I, I just want to highlight because it is definitely, I would say, the focus of, uh, of <laughs> the most controversy, if you will, um, and, and probably the biggest pull from the livestream. Whereas the second article that I'll talk about uh, definitely recaps things more holistically, and I'll talk a little bit more about those other parts there. So, without further ado, article by Yiska reads, Blizzard announces Overwatch 2 PvP will be 5v5. During a live stream on its official YouTube channel, Blizzard Entertainment and its Overwatch development team spearheaded by Aaron Keller has announced that the PvP portion of Overwatch 2 will be 5v5 with the tank role slimming down to just one player. The writing of it has been on the wall since at least BlizzCon, with the team showing only one tank in their in-game footage when presenting their current iteration of the new game at their annual con. The change is seen as a huge change to how the game plays, having wide-ranging implications from queue times to career security for tank players in the Overwatch League. Overwatch 5v5, how will it work? 
At BlizzConline, the development team had revealed a new envisioned identity for tanks, giving the role more options in terms of their mobility and moving some of the power away from strictly tanking into dealing more damage in order to make the game more fun. As such, changes like Reinhardt receiving a second charge of Fire Strike, tanks having knockback reductions, and giving less ultimate percentage when shot were announced. During the livestream, the team revealed a change to Winston in a similar vein, finally giving the scientist a right-click ability to add to his offensive capabilities. Curiously, Roadhog and Zarya appear to still be in a, the tank role, suggesting that they also receive changes in order to fulfill their role duties. The developers described the game will likely be much more fluid, describing that in their game playtests, the hard battle the hard battle lines in the sand were a lot less set, allowing for more dynamic gameplay. Moreover, several quality of life improvements were talked about with the developers, showing new UI elements for heroes like Zenyatta. In order to improve player improve issues players saw with undesired jiggle peeking, a slight amount of movement acceleration has also said to have been introduced, likely noticeably changing the way the game feels for players at all levels. So this obviously is uh, the the story that shook the Overwatch world, um, and especially the Overwatch League, given all of the implications that changing from a 6v6 format to a 5v5 format brings. Um, obviously, there's this is very much kind of a where do you even start uh, argument because quite literally this will change so much more in the game than a lot of people uh, a, a lot of common people would necessarily think about um, you know if, if you're talking about how technical the game is currently there is a large portion of the tanking role that is the synergy between a main tank and an off tank um, yeah, actually, I know I talk about this all the time, but if you go listen to the most recent episode of Plat Chat, uh, you'll hear the guys talk a lot about the tank role and how it is designed and how it works and how the off tank and main tank uh, really work together. Um, and ultimately, that is how they were designed. They were designed with main tanks being sort of this uh, brute force in a lot of ways uh, shielded tank that can... Uh, you know, take a lot of the damage, but maybe has some limitations in other ways. And then the off-tank role is similar in, you know, size and strength, but has a very different skill set. The One of the most sort of obvious displays of this is a main tank like Reinhardt partnered with uh, an off-tank like Zarya, where Reinhardt obviously limited in, limited in his range, limited in his mobility in a lot of ways. Um, you know, obviously he has his charge ability, which shoots him forward. But other than that, not a lot going on there. But then you have a uh, an off-tank like Zarya, who has more range on her weapon, uh, not only with her sort of primary fire uh, being that beam that extends out, but also having the secondary fire, lobbing that kind of uh, projectile shot. And then also Zarya... Uh, having the the ability to send out her bubble to a teammate so that um, you know you don't necessarily have to be entirely grouped up on her. Whereas obviously with Reinhardt, if you want to take advantage of his shield, which is much bigger, which lasts much longer, has a lot more health, you obviously have to be very near to him or you know behind him kind of thing. So I digress. That's kind of just the sort of a very obvious way to talk about all of this. Um, so there were, you know, one of the big changes is obviously going to be the synergy between the two because that won't exist quite literally will just be gone. Um, but one of the things that they talked about on PlatChat that I actually really liked and I think people would largely benefit from listening to uh, is sort of there's two sides to it, I guess. 
One of the things on the Overwatch League side of things specifically is you saw a lot of players saying, great, the role I've focused on for many, many years or the role I specialize in is now, for all intents and purposes, obsolete in the game. Which obviously um, is a natural reaction, right? Um, anyone, anyone whose job, livelihood, um, even their hobby is is suddenly threatened. Uh, I think Reinhardt, uh, Reinhardt, sorry, uh, Johnny Reinforce on Plat Chat said, uh, anyone who's threatened in that way goes into survival mode, right? So it's only natural for them to be defensive and say, this is this is the worst, this is awful. This is the end of the world for me and the end of my career and the end of my, you know, interest in this game. Um, when the fact is, you know, most teams certainly uh, have main tanks and have off tanks. You don't generally have a player who flexes onto either or or both. Um, so those roles will still exist on teams. It'll just be interesting to see how they play. Now, I think the other side of things that I really liked, um, I, I want to say it was Sideshow that brought it up, but they've talked a lot about tanks being more more brawlers um, in Overwatch 2, meaning that, you know, yes, they have this higher health pool, yes, they hit harder, um, but they're, they're almost less of a target because they generate less ult charge for other players, um, and obviously there are less of them on the field, but also that makes it more manageable for the sport. But now I digress. Um, the point is they talked a lot about them being more brawlers, and I do wonder, and this is something that uh, Sideshow suggested on PlatChat, I do wonder if they might change the role and make it not so much... Uh, I guess what I wonder is, will they change the name of the role? It's apparent that they're changing the abilities, they're changing the moveset, they're adding these passive abilities, um, which will drastically change the gameplay style of a tank. But I wonder if they will literally change the name of the role to something more akin to Brawler. So you have a Brawler class, you have a Damage class, and then you have a Support class. I think it could be really interesting, because obviously it's a it's a pretty significant change in thinking, because when you have a role-based game, you do typically have a tank, or you know, if we're going to Team Fortress, a heavy, or that kind of thing. And I think Brawler could work with that system as well. Um, it's all sort of, I guess it's all semantics really, but what I'm saying is I wonder if they will kind of try to shift people's thinking around it and just frame the idea of these main tanks a little differently. Obviously, you know, with the lineage and the, the at this point, five-year history of Overwatch 1, I don't necessarily think they will, but I would almost like to see them do that. Because I think it would help people sort of wrap their minds around this change and in a lot of ways realize that, you know, maybe it's not the end of the world. It is going to drastically change how the game plays. You know, you won't necessarily have, um, I mean, necessarily, you won't have certain certain heroes being as, uh, as, as tankable as they are, uh, or as others, sorry. You know, you if, if you only have one tank, you're typically not going to be grouped behind Roadhog, who doesn't have a shield. Um, even even Diva, in a lot of ways, you know, she has her defense matrix, but obviously, that's got a cooldown and everything. So, it'll be really interesting to see what they truly do, um, how they work this out, and how they make this change. But at the same time, I don't think it's the doom and gloom that people seem to think it is. Um, and and honestly, you know. There, there is a cynical side of me that says, yeah, you know, uh, 
the Overwatch League is is looking to save money, or Activision Blizzard rather, is looking to save some money on the Overwatch League. Uh, this cuts down on roster spots. Uh, you know, this cuts down on player management. Obviously, it, it just cuts. You know, it's one less setup to put on a stage, or one less setup to supply to a team. Um, so the cynical side of me does say that that is a factor, but ultimately you're cutting out, you know, on, on, in, in a league as a whole, there are 20 teams. Even if each team has two off tanks, that's 40 people in a league of, of however many more. So, and it's not that they're not valued. I'm, I'm simply making stating the fact that I don't think that that is a huge driver behind it. Even if you cut each of their salaries, I don't think the Overwatch League saves enough for that to have really truly been a decision maker for them. So maybe I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, but I digress. Now, enough about that. Uh, as, as I mentioned, I would definitely urge you to go check out the latest episode of Plat Chat um, because the guys have obviously a, a great discussion on it and a lot more well-informed discussion given that, uh, you know, Johnny played a uh, main tank role, um, you know, and all of the guys are very familiar with the game. Um, obviously, also having been uh, been involved with the scene since largely the beginning. So go check that out. And also look forward to the latest episode of Tactical Crouch, which is not out yet. But I am looking forward to it because I really want to hear what uh, the guys over on GG Recon think of this as well. Now, the next article I'm going to read is that highlight sort of uh, recap of the... Uh, Overwatch 2 PvP stream. And this one comes by way of .esports.com, posted on May 20th by Liz Richardson. And it reads like this. Biggest highlights from the Overwatch 2 PvP live stream. Too long, didn't watch? We've got you covered. Overwatch 2 developers have been hard at work creating the sequel and, as a result, have been relatively quiet since BlizzCon Line in February. Today, the team held a developer livestream that showed nearly two hours of live gameplay and detailed how player versus player competition will look in the future. Since it was aired in the middle of the day, many dedicated Overwatch fans may have missed all the fun. We've got you covered with the biggest changes and most important highlights from today's stream. Five player teams. When Overwatch 2 launches, PvP will look very different. Teams will now be made of five players instead of the standard six currently found in Overwatch. Each team will include two damage dealers, two supports, and one tank. While this update eliminates an entire tank role, heroes will be rebalanced to work around the change. Tank heroes will have more focus put into their, quote, brawling ability, and less emphasis will be placed on protecting teammates. Other heroes, like damage dealers and supports, will also be balanced around the new 5 vs. 5 format, thanks to new role passives and many, many tweaks to abilities. Passive role abilities. Many heroes in Overwatch have uh, already have passive abilities that exist at all times in the game and bring uniqueness to their kits. In Overwatch 2, each role will have its own passive ability, many times borrowing from passives already found within the game. The tank heroes will gain a passive that reduces knockback from heroes like Lucio, which operates like Reinhardt's steadfast passive does in the current game. Heroes will also have le build less ultimate percentage when attacking tanks in comparison to other heroes. Damage dealers like Genji and Tracer will get a mobility passive that makes them faster and more able to take flanks. Speaking of supports, they'll gain a version of Mercy's passive ability, which gives self-healing over time. This means heroes like Ana and Baptiste will no longer have to waste abilities or resources healing themselves. Hero ability changes. 
During the live stream, several hero abilities were highlighted, showing quality of life changes coming to Overwatch 2. May's Endothermic Blaster, her primary fire, will slow enemies but will no longer freeze them in Overwatch 2. Developers noted that this that they would be rebalancing or reducing the amount of crowd control abilities within the game, and this is a big step towards that goal. Winston, everyone's favorite scientist, will get a long-range alternate fire mode on his Tesla cannon. This will allow him to send extra damage towards enemies who are trying to escape his grasp. While not directly highlighted, other heroes also got ability changes as seen in the live map gameplay. It was teased at BlizzCon Line, but Reinhardt will have two fire strikes, as well as a cancel option to his charge ability. Zarya also now has two charges of her bubbles to protect allies or herself, but they share that two charge limit. User interface updates. New games normally include some flashy user interface updates, but Overwatch 2's changes focus on clearer, more visually pleasing screens for heroes. The live stream showed that healers have the most extensive updates to their interfaces. Mercy players will now see a portrait of the hero they are healing or boosting, prominently shown in the middle of the screen. Zenyatta players will also see the portrait of the hero they have a healing Discord, uh, healing orb or Discord orb on. Heroes like Pharah will more clearly see the position of the Mercy healing them and where they're positioned. Overall, the kill feed has been condensed in the right-hand corner of the screen, while text and alerts are smaller and less intrusive. New maps and layouts. A huge part of Overwatch 2 hype comes from new detailed maps for players to enjoy. Today's stream showed off five new maps as well as two demonstrations of the new game mode push. Toronto was confirmed as a push map very early in Overwatch 2's development and was featured at BlizzCon 2019, but this stream was the first time the general public got to see the full map in action. Picturesque Rome, which features stunning sunlit technology and nearly infinite nooks and crannies to hide in, was also confirmed as a push map today. Rio de Janeiro, Lucio's hometown, is a vibrant and lively hybrid map. One of the map's spawns is Lucio's home, but players will get to wind through the colorful streets on a peacock carnival float. New York is another hybrid map that was also teased at BlizzCon Line, but fans finally got a closer look at it today. Players get to destroy Grand Central Station and will notice dozens of nods to city life. Developers noted that both New York and Rio de Janeiro include lots of options for breaking through chokes and using cover as a defense. The stream's final featured map was Monte Carlo, the stream's only escort offering. The town is, an, is full of glamour and glitz, and the payload is a speedy F1 car. More importantly, Monte Carlo is an incredibly vertical map, forcing players to operate around steep inclines and lots of balconies and stairs. While we didn't get a release date for Overwatch 2, these details should keep fans entertained as development continues. So obviously there, we already talked about the 5v5 change uh, down from 6v6, so I won't talk too much about that. But I would like to highlight that uh, Liz Richardson also mentioned the brawling style of things, um, which was talked about in the live stream as well. So ultimately, it'll be really interesting to see, I think, not only how the tanks change, but how a lot of the other plays, uh, players, a lot of the other characters change in according to that. Um, it's, it's very incredible to think about the task they have of rebalancing the game. And in a lot of ways, um, you know, given the fact that we, at this point, are under the impression that Overwatch 1 and 2 online, uh, PvP will basically be, uh, I, I don't even know how to phrase it, a continuation throughout. So, 
Um, you know, I think they've said that all of the PvP will remain free for both games and through both games and everything. But I guess what I'm getting at is it will be interesting to see how things are tweaked in Overwatch 1 to now play with, with five players. Um, you know, will we see map changes? Uh, will we see uh, environmental changes in accordance to this kind of thing? So anyways, that's enough about 5v5. Uh, the next thing Liz talked about was the passive role abilities, which, again, they had talked about at BlizzCon, um, so I don't think this was anything, you know, too groundbreaking. Um, it was interesting to see it in action and hear a little bit more about it, you know, see an Ana and not have to chuck her nano grenade necessarily uh, to heal herself, but having that sort of passive to heal, uh, that kind of thing. So, you know, nothing too exciting there. Um, I think I mentioned the last time we talked about this that... What is interesting about it is the obvious lineage to uh, a game like World of Warcraft showing up here, but I digress there. Moving on from there, we move on to the hero ability changes, which again is a little bit about what I've already talked about, uh, but you know, highlighting a few there, a few big ones in fact, like Maze Endothermic Blaster. Um, you know, the fact that they are focusing or, or rebalancing the crowd control, reducing the amount of that, is really interesting. I, I guess in my mind. What we're seeing here is we are seeing Blizzard really change things from being uh, sort of a hero shooter, um, you know, on, on the verge of being a first-person shooter MOBA. Um, it feels a lot like they're kind of taking hints and cues from a game like Valorant, which is obviously more popular than ever, and kind of tweaking things to be more in line with that. Now, I don't think it's that drastic because that would be an entirely different game, um, you know, when I when I played Valorant for the first time, my immediate reaction was, uh, this is clearly coming from a place of Counter-Strike uh, sort of crossing over with a hero-based ability game like Overwatch or Apex Legends. Um, whereas removing crowd control from a game like Overwatch, which I think crosses over more with, with those MOBAs, I think tilts it a little bit in that direction. But even still, I don't see any way it's going to be anywhere near as uh, shooter-based as a game like uh, like Valorant is or certainly, you know, Counter-Strike. So, so that's uh, an interesting one. It was exciting to see Winston's uh, long-range alternate fire, obviously. Um, exciting to see, you know, Zarya's extra bubbles in action. Um, and, and also, you know, an interesting, uh, balancing of how that works, particularly with Zarya, um, and having the, the two abilities share the, the charges on them. So good stuff there. Moving on from there, the second last item that Liz talks about was the interface changes, which, you know, for a lot of people, I'm sure this isn't going to be that big of a deal, but for someone who nerds out on UI and things like that, I actually really liked what they did here. Um, in particular, the Zenyatta changes were quite stunning, I thought. Um, so we now see, you know, Zenyatta obviously center bottom of the screen. You've still got your ultimate charge there, but then just to the left and right of that, you essentially have a little, uh, little image of a discord orb or a healing orb. And when those are cast on someone, the icon of that player shows up. So Liz in her article here has, has an image from the point of view of a Zenyatta, and it has the Discord orb on the right, and it has a little Lucio kind of overlapping with it. And then it has the healing orb on the left, and I'm not actually even sure who exactly 
I'm seeing that on there in the screenshot. The screenshot's a little, little bit blurry there, but I digress. Uh, it shows one of her teammates there, obviously, with uh, with the healing orb on him. So exciting stuff there. Obviously, Liz talks a little bit about some of the other changes, like uh, Mercy um, and even, you know, allowing Farah to more easily see the position of the Mercy that is healing them, things like that. Lots of nice little tweaks. Um, one of the things I did take away from this live stream was actually the fact that they're certainly not done a lot of this. Um, you know, looking at the UI, I like things like that. I like the features that I was just talking about. But when I look at things like, you know, the player portrait, the health bar, um, even the the abilities and the cooldowns, sort of, you know, bottom right and then bottom left, or bottom left and then bottom right, um, I do look at those and think they look basic right now. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, they are just cookie cutter from the previous game, but I do think that they're going to add a lot more flair, a lot more flash around those just to, um, just to make it look, you know, that much more polished. And then as well, if you look at the team one, team two views, uh, or I guess whatever you want to call it, uh, the, the spectating views where it lists the team members and shows their icons and everything again, just looked a little plain to me. So I'm sure they're going to spice those up a little bit, um, tweak that. I think UI in a lot of ways is often one of the more final, um, one of the items that waits until further down the line to truly finalize. So I'm sure that's coming, but uh, I'm sure they've got a lot of tweaking and balancing to sort out first. So, and then the final item that Liz talked about in this article, of course, was the new maps and layouts. So exciting for uh, all our Canadian fans and myself to see the Toronto map, um, especially being confirmed as. Uh, or not being confirmed, but being that demo of the push mode, which we had, you know, seen snippets of before, but really getting to kind of watch it in action was exciting. Um, and obviously lots of, you know, Canadian uh, hints in there. I saw there's there's a Tim Hortons joke in there and everything like that. So exciting stuff there. Really happy to see Toronto coming to life. Um, and then just overall, really exciting to see Rome, uh, Rio de Janeiro, uh, New York, and and as Liz mentions there, the the coup de gras, the finale of the live stream was of course a match on Monte Carlo, um, which just is a is an awesome map. Um, you know, I'm sure, and uh, there's got to be someone on the development team that is a big F1 fan for them to not only pick Monte Carlo as a location, but then to also make the payload a uh, floating or a, a hovering F1 car. Um, so. Really exciting to see all of that, um, and man, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to this game. I really hope they nail it. I hope it comes out. Well, I don't even. I mean, it doesn't have to come out soon. I just hope that uh, you know they stick the landing and that it is everything we hope it will be, um, and that they you know they see the resurgence that we all want them to. So now, that's the big recap. That's the big story. Um, or the big stories for, for today's show. I'm going to move on and we will talk about uh, some Overwatch League news here now. So we're going to go over to the game house this time with an article by Ethan Butler on May 23rd. And it reads, Reprise retires, Fisher promoted, London Spitfire news update. The London Spitfire news update has the team announcing that head coach Reprise has retired from coaching competitive Overwatch. Additionally, they have announced that assistant coach Fisher has been promoted to fill the vacant position. In the video announcement, general manager Nuki details what the changes will mean for the team moving forward. 
The video is essentially uh, the video essentially is just telling fans of the coaching changes, alongside the reasons as to why Fisher was promoted to the team to lead the team. An interesting tidbit near the end, however, is that Nuki revealed that a new coach may also be joining the team shortly, so keep an eye out for a possible new addition to the squad. In his Twitlonger posted earlier today, Reprise gave clear reasoning for what led to this difficult decision. They do then have a snippet from the uh, Twitlonger there posted by Reprise, but I will let you go seek that out on yourself, or on your own if you'd like. And then it reads, In dark times there is some light. After his dominant stint as head coach of the British Hurricane, Fisher has been brought up to the Spitfire, finally achieving his dream of making it to the Overwatch League. Now he finds himself leading the squad, and he has released a video detailing his goals and a taste of his vision for the team moving forward. Fisher talks of how this has been a fast transition for him, talking of how it will take time to ease into the new role. Additionally, he asks fans to keep supporting the team and the players as they deal with this change. In regards to the team's performance so far, Fisher speaks of how the team is filled with rookies, players who have not competed at this level prior to this season. The May Melee was a necessary eye-opener to the level of play required to compete, and he believes that the team will take the lessons from the past tournament and become stronger moving forward. Fisher as well, touches on hero pools and the team's grueling strength of schedule for the June Joust. Moving forward, this is a major team for the change to undertake so early in the season, yet after a disappointing May melee, it may be just what the team needs to correct their course. Reprise is and was a tremendous coach, yet sometimes, as he detailed in his tweet longer, it can be just be the wrong fit. His style just wasn't working to give the team their greatest chance at success at this level of play. Fisher, on the other hand, could be just what the team needs. He has extensive experience working with most of these players, having been their coach during most of their dominant times in the EU contenders. As he says, though, these changes will not magically make the team start winning. There's still work to be done to turn the team's season around. His familiarity with the Hurricane Corps, however, and his record as a head coach should give beleaguered Spitfire fans some hope. Already, the results are promising. Their game against the Florida Mayhem showed a much-improved team one capable of standing up to some of the most powerful foes in the league possesses. Keep the faith, squadron. A bright future may be on the horizon. So obviously everyone wishes uh, a reprise well um, and exciting to see Fisher coming up, moving up through the ranks. Um, obviously this is just, you know, more of the London Spitfire machine at work. Um, you know, obviously we're not seeing a ton of results from them just yet. They are, in fact, as they mentioned, they're a, quite a rookie squad. But ultimately, I think they've been clear with their expectations from day one. Um, you know, Nuki's done interviews and things like that before the season even started, just outlining her expectations and, you know, the fact that, no, they're not going to come into the league and dominate and be a top-tier, you know, end-all, be-all force. Um, but they are building an organization around this core, and uh, they want to develop them over a number of years. Um, so, you know, good to see all of this uh, kind of lining up um, and hopefully uh, Fisher is able to be an important part of that. Now, next up, we're going to head over to ESTNN.com with an article by Ofeli Castellot, which reads, Erster leaves Shanghai Dragons. As the June Joust tournament is about to begin, Shanghai Dragons flex DPS Erster announces his retirement from the Overwatch League. Erster made a video to explain his decision to retire as the Overwatch League was just getting started. The pressure of the Overwatch League got the best of Erster. He explained that he felt overwhelmed and unable to live up to expectations. After several discussions with the managerial and coaching staff, Erster decided to put an end to his professional Overwatch career. 
This is quite a surprise, as it is not the first Overwatch League season Erster played in. He played two years with the Atlanta Reign, ending up at 5th place in both Overwatch League 2019 and 2020 playoffs. Erster joined the Shanghai Dragons last November. So far, the team had a good run in the Overwatch League 2021 season, placing 2nd in the May Melee Tournament. However, Erster was not the only star DPS of the team. Shanghai Dragons have three other DPS players who have all been with the team longer than Erster. He didn't see much playtime this season, probably leading to his decision to retire from Overwatch. Who can replace Erster in Shanghai Dragons? The three remaining DPS players for Shanghai Dragons are Lip, Diem, and Overwatch League MVP, Fleta. Lip and Diem are both hitscan specialists, while Fleta masters a larger range of heroes. Shanghai Dragons do not need to replace Erster, with already three DPS players for only two DPS seats in the starting six. However, the team could bring in some fresh blood to help players rotate and adopt, adapt sorry, to more situations. More likely, the team will continue running as it already does. They could bring in a new player from Contenders to prepare for the Overwatch League, but on the bench and not in the starting six. So there you go. Obviously, uh, you know, everyone wishes Erster the best, as we always do. Um, and, and sad to see him go because I think, you know, on the Atlanta reign, he... He was certainly a uh, bit of a, I don't want to say a shining star, but he was an impact player with them for sure. And I think, you know, seeing him move to Shanghai was definitely a uh, bit of a surprise, bit of a shock, um, you know, given how well Shanghai did last season, um, even if they didn't quite finish things off at the end there, but they did, they had an, a stellar season otherwise. So I'm sure he was very much looking forward to, uh, to playing with uh, that sort of championship roster. Um, you know, even if it did get shaken up a little bit in the off season. So anyways, uh, all the best to Erster and uh, the Shanghai Dragons. Now, an interesting story here that I actually want to cover. I'm, I'm kind of excited to cover here. Um, and this one is going to be from .esports.com, posted by Kale Michael on May 23rd, and reads, Philadelphia Fusion officially welcomes back Fusion University as EU Academy roster. The Philadelphia Fusion is bringing back its Overwatch Contenders Academy team, Fusion University, to compete in upcoming events. This was partially announced yesterday when Fusion University said it would be making a comeback to the competitive season, but the main Fusion organization confirmed today it is fully supporting the relaunch of its affiliate. Fusion University, which folded at the start of 2020 when the roster moved to play under the T1 banner in Contenders Korea full-time, is now going to be playing in European Contenders. The Fusion will have academy teams in EU and Korea to test out new players in their system, especially as the team continues to work on building out a strong roster. Quote, We are excited to welcome back Fusion University, this time as a part of EU contenders, Fusion said. This provides our Philadelphia Fusion players, Poco, Shockwave, and Funny Astro, the opportunity to properly train as we continue to work with local authorities to get every Fusion player and coach Christopher to Seoul this season. Here is the newly announced Fusion University roster that will be competing with the team in the upcoming EU Contenders event. Shockwave, Gialli, Poco, Funny Astro, Boombox, Jakaru19, Christopher, Coach, and Cruz, Coach. The organization has also reiterated its commitment to relocating its entire Fusion roster to Seoul for the remainder of the 2021 season. So this is obviously uh, quite the announcement. Um, you know, uh, uh, 
I feel like unexpected in a lot of ways. Obviously, the rumor mill was churning, and you know, someone like Halo of Thoughts, uh, Aaron over there on Twitter had had suggested this was going to happen. Um, but ultimately, just um, a, a little bit incredible, honestly. If I'm being honest, I heard this and was kind of taken aback, just like, holy cow. So, so what you're telling me is if an organization has enough money and enough resources, they could literally just be like, hey, we're going to revive this dead franchise. Um, so what you're telling me is the Toronto Defiant, if they wanted to, they could just bring back the Montreal Rebellion, I guess. So anyways, I just found it very interesting, but also uh, a very clever way for them to make sure that they hold on to those players, um, that they, you know, make sure those players know that they're valued. Um Obviously, I think looking at uh, Poco, Shockwave, and Funny Astro, and, you know, Christopher and Cruz as well, they certainly did not want these guys to get bored, to be left behind, to feel abandoned, um, or to start looking in any way. This this obviously says that the Philadelphia Fusion organization is committed to them on a level uh, that they are willing to revive a sort of dead portion of their, their organization um, just to hang on to them. So... Obviously, I hope they have some success because that would be awesome to see. And with talent like Poco, Shockwave, and Funny Astro, and I only say them because I'm not familiar with the other players. Um, although I think I actually do know, I think Boombox, I recognize Boombox. But anyways, um, obviously this is this is just all around great. You know, great for the contender scene, great for the Philadelphia organization, great for the players. So I'm really excited to see this one. Moving on from there, we're going to go... A little bit west of where I am, over to Vancouver, for some Vancouver Titans news, which is not something that I often get to talk about, but not necessarily good news. This is posted over on .esports.com by Liz Richardson on May 24th, and it reads, Vancouver Titans tank Shredlock retires. The Vancouver Titans will be looking a bit less powerful in the June joust thanks to a sudden resignation. Main Tank Shredlock announced today that he's retiring from professional Overwatch and leaving the Titans immediately. As Vancouver's only main tank, it leaves the team in limbo, but Shredlock said a, quote, good replacement has already been found. And we actually have a link to another article there that I'm going to open up right now. Shredlock joined the Vancouver Titans in May 20th after the organization dropped its all-Korean roster to go for a Western team. The main tank was picked up alongside several of his former teammates from Overwatch Contender's team, Second Wind. Shredlock was one of three players retained by the Titans going into the 2021 season. In a message posted on his personal Twitter, Shredlock apologized profusely to Titans fans, saying he was sorry for, quote, uh, he was sorry, quote, for spending nearly a year here with nothing to show for it, end quote. He said the decision is the right one for him at this time in his life, and he'll spend several months in Vancouver before going back to school. As far as the next Vancouver Titans main tank goes, Shredlock said in his message that the team has lined up a, quote, good replacement. Rumors in the community point toward the team possibly signing former Fusion University main tank, Changsik, who retired in 2019. And, of course... Uh, the the uh, embedded link there that I mentioned uh, simply takes you to Shredlock's Twit Longer. So go give that a read. Um, you know, I, again, like Liz says there, he, he does apologize and everything. And certainly I don't think he needs to apologize. Um, you know, professional play is, is what it is. Um, and certainly the organization in Vancouver um, has done little to set up these players for success, it would seem, and uh, really make them feel valued. They're there have been some team videos that I've watched, um, you know, where I'm just 
surprised at the lack of enthusiasm and uh, uh, the lack of, you know, a real will and desire to do well. Um, and I'm not talking by the by the team or by the direct team either. So coaches and things like that, I'm sure they all want to win. I'm talking about the organization sort of extended out from there. And I think that's very sad and really a shame, especially obviously given everything that happened uh, with the former Korean roster. So um, again, on Plat Chat t- today, uh, Sideshow highlighted the fact that the Vancouver Titans organization has consistently shit on their players um, and treated them poorly. And that certainly uh, doesn't really help anyone succeed and uh, only makes things more difficult. So all the best to Shredlock, ultimately. Sad to see him go. Uh, but we'll see what the future holds for the Vancouver Titans. Now, the next article uh, snuck in there, snuck in under the radar. Um, I saw this hours ago, but I only saw one site actually reporting on it just now. But I do want to highlight it because, uh, hey, it's another Canadian story. So lots of Canada making an appearance today. Um, although certainly not necessarily in uh, good ways. But uh, let me read it and you'll understand why. So this is going to come from Jinx.tv, posted by Andre Zaguino, and it reads, Toronto Defiant confirms three COVID cases. Logics sent to ER. Overwatch League's Toronto Defiant has confirmed via social media that up to three members of the organization have contracted COVID-19, including veteran hitscan damage dealer Logics. Defiant, who are currently 4-2 and two in the overall overall owl 2021 standings with a one-to-one record in the june joust qualifiers shared a statement via twitter that the org has been quote in touch with toronto public health and are following their instructions and recommendations prior to the confirmation of covid cases within the org logic shared on twitter that he'd been taken to the emergency room due to severe respiratory complications and low oxygen levels quote Thank you all for the well wishes. Went back to the ER yesterday because of low oxygen levels and trouble breathing. Being monitored closely now. Last week has been awful, but trying to rest and keep my head up. The Belgian DPS explained. It's worth mentioning, Logix did not confirm COVID-19 as the reason for being hospitalized. Toronto is set to play the San Francisco Shock on the 29th and the Houston Outlaws on the 30th of May in their final two June Joust qualifying matches. The league has yet to issue a statement regarding the situation, so it remains to be seen if the matches will be rescheduled or not. So, um, obviously, really, really awful story there. Um, we wish, you know, all, all the love and prayers and whatever you want to send to Logix um, and the other organization members that are currently uh, have tested positive for COVID, and hopefully they all get a speedy recovery and, uh, you know, if Logix is the worst of the of the lot, then, my God, like, we are all thinking about you, dude. Um, just absolutely kind of shocking, honestly. Um, I don't even think we were seeing stories like this, you know, sort of at the height of COVID. I know right now it feels a lot like we are at the, not the tail end necessarily, but vaccinations are becoming more and more common. And, you know, I know most of my friends and, and co-workers and things like that have been vaccinated at this point. Um, so ultimately, I, I feel like things are getting better and improving. But obviously, uh, it's still out there and uh, still a large threat to a lot of people. So all the best to Logics. Hopefully, he has a happy and, uh, and speedy recovery um, and isn't in too much discomfort and pain. Same goes for the other organization members. Same goes for anyone with this uh, awful virus, obviously. Um, but even still, just another shocking story because, 
uh, certainly like just feels like we're coming to the end of this thing. And I don't even feel like, again, I don't feel like we heard stories like this when the league first started, you know, uh, transitioning last year in 2020 to, uh, you know, more of a, I, I don't know what you want to call it, work from home scenario kind of thing. But anyways, I digress. Uh, let's hope that everyone makes a speedy recovery there. Now, that is finally the end of the news segment of the show. We are at 47 minutes here, almost 48 minutes. So I'm going to go over and I'm going to dive into... I'm just taking a look here. I'm actually going to skip the recap of games uh, just because I actually didn't watch too many games. Um, so we're going to dive right on into my pickums. There's no stopping me. All right. So after everyone's uh, pickums from last weekend got significantly boomed, buy some upsets um oh man looking at last week's games there are a few that i really would have liked to talk about that i did watch um a few upsets and things like that uh but ultimately i mean i'll be honest i'm not feeling great i'm tired and i want to want to get to bed but i do want to go through my pickups so let's see here let's see what we got coming up on friday may 28th first things first we have the london spitfire taking on the dallas fuel now let's take a look London, uh, not the worst showing this past weekend. Um, you know, took a map off Florida. They went lost 3-0 to the Atlanta Reign. Um, but that Florida game was good uh, for London. I, I did feel like London showed signs of improvement. Um, meanwhile, Dallas did not play this past weekend. So Dallas coming off the high of the June joust win, uh, sorry, the May Melee win that they achieved, um, but obviously coming off of a couple bye weeks as well. Um, I do think that Dallas looks still looks stronger than the London Spitfire. I do think most teams look stronger than the London Fit Spitfire. So I'm going to give it to Dallas, and I am going to give it to them 3-0. It'll be really interesting to see how Dallas is handling the new meta uh, with the Hero Pool bands, though. But I digress. Given given it's their return to, to play, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say they 3-0 the London Spitfire. Now, the next match is another team that we haven't seen since uh, the a couple weeks into the, 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 the season. Um, we have the Los Angeles Gladiators taking on the Vancouver Titans. So the Vancouver Titans at this point, uh, in my humble opinion... I mean, they haven't won a game. That's a fact, not my opinion. But in my humble opinion, they do seemingly always take a map off of these teams. I, I don't know how they do it, uh, but they always seem to get at least one. So I am going to give it to the Gladiators with a score of 3-1 to one because I think the Vancouver Titans have proven that they can do that. Um, we'll see how they handle the meta. We'll see how they handle a new main tank um, and things like that. But I'm going to give it to them. Uh, give it to the Glads, 3-1. to one. Moving on to Saturday, May 29th, the first game we have is the Houston Outlaws taking on the London Spitfire. So London, again, uh, they are not catching any breaks in their schedule this uh, this time around, and I'm going to give it to Houston, 3-0. and oh. uh, Houston didn't look great this past weekend. Um, you know, the Atlanta Reign managed to come out above them on uh, Saturday there, 3-1, to one. but then Houston did manage to pull a win on Florida, 3-1 to one as well. So... You know, one for one in the June Joust so far. Um, looked like Houston cleaned up a lot of their their play going into the match against Florida, um, whereas the match against Atlanta, it looked like they were they were trying to do their own thing, and and Atlanta was kind of beating them at playing the meta. So I'll give it to Houston. 
Moving on from there, we see the San Francisco Shock returning to play, finally. Um, and this time playing against the Toronto Defiant. Now, Toronto Defiant, that's an interesting situation as we just discussed. I largely suspect this game will be delayed and rescheduled. Um, I really truly have no idea what something like a a COVID outbreak, you know, I use that term loosely, but a COVID outbreak in an organization means or does to the team. And because of that, um, honestly, I, I think this game will be canceled. Um, I don't know what else the league can do. Uh, I don't know how they can slot people in. I don't know if the league will tell the Toronto organization that it's on them to find a replacement or something like that, or if they will give them some leeway. So I would love to just not vote on this match, but ultimately that's going to ruin my pickums if I don't. I'm going to say that San Francisco 3 and O's the Toronto Defiant, if they play at all. Moving on from there. The Atlanta Reign come back for another game, and this time take on the Los Angeles Gladiators. Um, this one is really kind of hard to predict because it's been so long since we saw the Gladiators. We haven't seen them with uh, the new Hero Pool meta. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, Atlanta uh, beat Houston, a strong team, um, and then beat London, right? A, a you know, bottom of the barrel team. So hard to say where Atlanta's really sitting, um, but even harder to say where the Glads are sitting. So I think I'm going to give it to Atlanta and that I don't want to say it's recency bias, but I am going to say it is, uh, they, they've been playing more recently, obviously. Um, so I will give it to them based on that, but I'll say that it's a close game and we'll give the Glads two points there. So three to two for the Atlanta Reign. Now, moving on to Sunday, the Toronto Defiant are supposed to play another game, uh, this time against the Houston Outlaws. Again, I don't, I don't think they will play that game either. It's hard to say. Who knows what will happen? I'll give it to Houston 3-1. to one. Moving on from there, we have the Vancouver Titans returning again, and uh, this time playing the Atlanta Reign, who are also returning, obviously. I think this could be the first 3-0 of the Vancouver Titans feel. Um I, I really don't think I'm wrong about that. I think the Vancouver Titans have so far taken a map off of everyone they've played. I could be wrong, but I think Atlanta will be coming hot off the Glads match. Um, they're looking hot right now, so I'll give it to the Atlanta Reign 3-0. and oh. Moving on from there, should be an exciting match. Uh, final match of the weekend will be the Dallas Fuel taking on the San Francisco Shock. Again, we haven't seen San Francisco play I think Toronto would be a nice warm-up if they do get to play against them. If not, though, then Dallas Fuel... I, I mean, Dallas could come out on top. We don't know how Dallas is going to do with the meta. We don't know how San Francisco is going to do, given the time off they've had. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say it's a close one. Give it to San Francisco 3-2. to two. Moving over... Actually, here, let's, let's save those preds. Saving, 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 saving... Can you, can you save my Preds, please? I don't know if it saved that. Okay, we're going to scroll down. We're going to do our East region now. Now, let's see here. So this weekend is the 29th, uh, 28, 29, 30. 28, 29, 30. So here we go. I've got it now. Shanghai against the Valiant. I'm giving it to Shanghai 3-0. That's an easy one to decide. New York against Seoul. Seoul is wacky, and New York is looking... Like they might be on the upswing a little bit after a, an interesting weekend where they managed to pull out a win on the Philadelphia Fusion, but then lost to the Guangzhou Charge. 
I'll give it to the Soul Dynasty three to one. Yeah, that feels right. I like Soul right now. Uh, moving on from there, the New York Excelsior will take on the Los Angeles Valiant. I am giving it to New York. I'm going to give it... Uh, yeah, we'll go three and one. I'll give Valiant one map because New York is a little closer to them in skill than the Shanghai Dragons. Moving on from there, the Shanghai Dragons will take on the Seoul Dynasty. And I'm again going to give it to Shanghai. I'm going to say it'll be uh, not as much of a wash as the Dragons against the Valiant, but not much different. I'm going to give it to them three to one. So there you have it. That is my predictions for this week. Um, I'm scrolling on down here just to double check what's going on. I actually don't know if these are saving. Uh, it's kind of odd that way. Um, I'm going to close that, and then I'm going to pull it up again. I'm going to see if it worked at all. It did not work. Interesting, interesting. Okay, I'm going to breeze through these then. I'm going to put my picks back in again, and then we will take a look at some more stuff. So bear with me. Excuse me for dropping in. All right, I got through that. We are looking good. We are in great shape. Um, and now I actually think I'm going to wrap up the show. So once again, thank you for attending episode 42 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch podcast, where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. I'm your host at Sir Dr. JM. That's at Sir DRJM. You can, of course, find me on all socials and follow me on Twitter, interact with me there, and I'm happy to talk about things you want me to talk about on the show, topics, questions, comments, concerns, whatever you got there. Send them to me on Twitter and we will bring them up. Bring them up. You can, of course, find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services out there, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. So give us a follow, leave us a review, tell your friends, all that fun stuff. Now, that's it for today's show, so we will catch you next week and enjoy some Overwatch this weekend. Thank you.